This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right. Hello, everybody, to a special episode of the Equalizer podcast. Uh, this is Claire Watkins here. I am joined by Jeff Kasouf this evening, and we just watched a wild game of soccer between the U.S. Women's National Team and uh, Australia. There were eight goals. The U.S. came out on top five to three, uh, which I think maybe – we saw some of the best and maybe some of the worst that this team can do right now. Uh, first impressions, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, obviously a wild game. I think, um, you know, if we were to see a five, three game like that in the world cup itself, I, I think it would be um, quite a headliner, I, I, you know, two teams that, that have realistic uh, hopes of winning the world cup. I'm not sure, you know, that the, I mean, it was certainly an entertaining game. I'm not sure that that kind of a, a performance for either the, either of those teams is something that's going to be a, a World Cup winning worthy performance. Just just the way that the, the breakdowns came about, and um, you know certainly scoring five goals in a match, um, you'd expect to win it. But but giving up three, obviously, if you're the U.S. and, and certainly Australia giving up five, um, I think you've got a lot to to try to figure out when you uh, when you look at what what's going to come. Uh, in France in a couple months here because, uh, you know, I think certainly as the U.S. showed four years ago, um, typically a defensively sound team is the one that's standing at the end. Yeah, I mean, the defense was poor all around from both Australia and the U.S. Um, <laughs> no punches. No, poor. absolutely not. And uh, it goes to show, I mean, a lot of people were saying um, it was an interestingly kind of wide open game between these two teams. They tend to play each other kind of tight. And uh, definitely not the case here. And, and let's get into We don't have to go through all of the goals, but there were some that definitely showed uh, some of the issues that, that both of these teams have. Starting with the first one, mm -hmm. Alex Morgan gets her 100th. She'd been sitting on 99 yep. for a while. It was a good goal off her weak foot. Um, to me, the, the main things, the things that I thought were interesting there was the U.S. were throwing a lot of long balls up early in the match, especially from Abby Dahlkemper, who was doing a good job. She sent quite a few in there um, that were landing well. And then both Claire Polkinghorne and Alana Kennedy for Australia there got, got turned around by Morgan. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a good opening goal, but very kind of direct play. Do you have any thoughts about it well yeah i mean I, you know i think anybody who's sort of followed me or, or you know writing twitter or whatever i mean i've sort of been beating this drum almost to the point where i have to stop myself before i bring up the topic again and say am i am i overdoing this but then i watch you know a match like this and and i mean australia's undoing is is it's central pairing i mean particularly i think you know this is not to say that claire polkinghorne is not an international caliber player but um, she's not at center back and and that continues to be um, 
Australia's option. I mean, uh, one of them anyway. And, and, you know, I think that that got exposed to the Tournament of Nations quite clearly. I think it's been exposed throughout this past year. And, and it was, again, I mean, this play, um, I don't mean to downplay this particularly as Morgan's 100th goal because it was there was plenty that she needed to do. And it was, um, as you said, a very nice finish. But this play comes about from essentially poking or misreading a bounce is, is how this, this, you know, this is a bouncing ball just over midfield really. And, and, you know, a simple shoulder from, from Morgan and, and a ball is over her head. So um, that's not to pick on that particular scenario. We saw it again, uh, or we saw it before in the tournament of nations. And, and I think that, you know, it, it was sort of a, a microcosm of, what what Australia needs to figure out, and I don't think they have any answers. To be frank, I mean, I think it's going to be that they're, you know, if it's Kennedy and Polkinghorn, which seems to be sort of the the favored pairing back there, it's just going to be figuring out how to make that work because there's really nothing in the in the wings in terms of depth there. So um, that 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 really stood out with with obviously due respect to to Morgan who finished it quite nicely. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and and that. Talk about a tale of two teams that are in similar situations. Uh, the Australia equalizer saw a couple players look like they didn't know exactly where they were supposed to be on the U.S.'s end. Um, it was it was kind of a, a series of, of tiny disasters for the U.S. on the equalizer. Uh, Julie Ertz goes for a tackle in midfield. She misses. She's got a giant gap behind her between her and her back line, which I think you tweeted about this, that lots of flat lines from the U.S. to start mm -hmm. out, yep. um, which caught them. It did catch them with gaps uh, in transition. And then Emily Sonnet doesn't step to her her attacker. It, it, it kind of looked like she maybe was – she thought someone was going to step to Caitlin Ford who had the ball or – she wasn't sure exactly where she was supposed to be. I believe Julie Ertz from the ground was trying to direct her out wide. Um, and Lisa Devanna, uh, tried and true uh, attacker against the U.S., <laughs> puts one in the upper 90. I mean, that goal, it was just an encapsulation of the issues, right, that the U.S. has. Yeah, I think it's important, too. I, I think that, you know, this is my, this is my usual uh, sort, of, sort of flyer to the world that, you know, I think the mainstream is going to start paying attention more and more. And obviously, you know, we're in April now and, and this is the time where sort of everybody is sort of coming around and realizing some of these issues that those of women following the team have, have known about. And um, so I think it's important to say that, you know, this is not something new. Um, it's not something that, you know, certainly you and I and us here, I mean, we're not um, sort of, reactionary and freaking out about it. I mean, we've known for a while that this is a U.S. team. I mean, this 5-3 scoreline is, is um, yeah, it's a microcosm of what, what they are right now. They are not the 2015 team that was seconds away from setting a shutout record. Uh, they are not a team that's going to win a lot of 1-0 games. I mean, they, they certainly can. Uh, but this is a team that is... Um, I'm not sure that they're necessarily embracing it. I think they just kind of have to because this is where they are. Um, similar to what I was saying about Australia is that this is a team that's going to win, um, I don't know about 5-3 games, but you know maybe 3-2. Uh, I don't think you're going to necessarily see a ton of clean sheets um, from this team because there's just there are some defensive questions. The, the balance of this team lies in the attack. Um, and, and they are, you know, they're much more likely to 
to win a high scoring game like this than they are um, to be in sort of a one nil match that that um, I think defensively we just haven't seen the confidence that that's going to happen. Right. And to a certain extent, I guess this was a step forward from the She Belize Cup in that they did hammer in five. Um, as opposed to getting a lot of those those two two draws that they were seeing earlier in the year, um, I do I personally think the Julie Ertz thing is interesting just because um, you know I've seen her play up close and personal for Chicago for a couple of years and she's been you know put in the midfield in a ver- variety of different places or slotted back into center back and um, when I saw Ertz play her one game for Chicago in the preseason against Portland uh, last. Sunday, um, she was playing more of an eight role in the midfield in front mm-hmm. of Danny Colaprico. And I asked Roy Dames about that after the game. And he said that was mostly by design. He said when they, he has those two on the field, Danny's a natural six and uh, Julie is, you know, she is better off when she gets a chance to run a little bit more. And right. I, th- I thought that made a lot of sense for Chicago. Um, I wonder if, if right now Julie Ertz's instincts aren't too, run in the attack a little bit more. Obviously that's what Jill Ellis seems to like from a lot of uh, her players. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is leaving that gap. It's like, she needs someone. If she's in a midfield with Rose Lavelle, Lindsay Horan, I'm not sure who fills that role. If that, those were the starting three in the midfield. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's becoming, you know, significant. I I guess it has been problematic is, is a better way to put it. And, and I think, you know, if you're Jill Ellis, I think you really have to be, seriously considering what that personnel looks like. I mean, it, it has evolved over time. I mean, a year ago, you know, I think, I mean, this is how much things have changed. I think even a year ago now, you know, Morgan Bryan was still in that sort of Ellis's preferred three in, a, in an ideal world where everyone's healthy. So um, that, that three, that combination has evolved over time. And I think we're seeing and saw particularly against Australia, particularly on that first goal, um, and, and even, you know, the build-up to that first goal, 29 minutes into that, I mean, before that even, it was just, you know, as you said, that, that I was talking about, it's everything was very flat, and it was just super easy to bypass lines where one ball is beating all three midfielders. Um, and I, I think you look at the way that that system shapes up with that personnel, and you're asking Ertz to be the one holding mid covering a significant amount of ground, particularly when it's Rose Lavelle who's going to sit higher, is not known for defensive duties. Lindsey Horan, a bit more of a two-way player, yes, but um, is, is typically sort of drifted um, a little bit wider, a little bit to the left, and, and, you know, it leans offensive, I guess, is a way to, is a fair way to put it for her. So I think you look at that, and I know there's a lot of consideration and, and cries out for Mewis, um, and, and I think you have to say rather than that triangle, I think you almost need to rotate what that shape looks like 90 degrees where you've got Ertz alone, you've got Haran sort of offset in front of her and then Lavelle at the top of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing how much that exposes Ertz and whether it's Mewis, uh, potentially Zerboni, I guess, um, you know, the, the, having that coverage as essentially a double pivot with one in front, um, it, it I think that's the coverage that they're going to need for Ertz because you look at that goal and it's, just, I mean, if, if I'm France, if I'm, if I'm Germany, if I'm Sweden, even, I mean, anybody really watching this tape and it's not the only tape uh, that, that you can see this in, 
you know, you, you can draw out Haran. You've already got Lavelle pretty high up. And then you have Ertz exposed in something of a 2v1 in the middle of the park with, with 40 square yards, and it's one pass to beat her. Um, and that's not her fault. That That's a product of the system. Yeah, all right. So... That's a that's a pretty well good good look at the midfield. I, I do think that Mewis, when she came in, she did try to sit behind Ertz at least a little bit, which went kind of poorly on Australia's second goal. But it at least looked like the bodies were a little bit more where they needed to be. Let's talk defense a little bit. So the starting lineup, we had uh, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Abby Dahlkemper, and Emily Sonnet which I think a lot of people mm-hmm. starting out thought, okay, this is probably our starting back line with likely if Kelly O'Hara is healthy enough, she would switch out for Emily Sonnet. Um, lots of discussions about natural defenders, obviously um, arguably the more defensive minded uh, players in that system. The people who are in camp right now with Ali Krieger, Krieger and Casey short, you know, they didn't make any playing time. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it definitely seems like an ethos for the defense. Um, but I, I maybe my, what all I'm getting to here is that I still, it was, I thought Becky Sauerbrunn had kind of a quiet game and I thought Dahl Kemper had some questionable defensive moments. There were in two goals, one being um, the second Australia goal where she kind of got stuck and it seemed like she was watching the ball a little bit and, and might've even gotten in Nayer's sight line. And then, uh, the final Australia goal, Sam Kerr, she got beaten for that header, that long header for Australia's mm-hmm. final goal. And I still just wonder, it, it makes sense to me why Dahl Kemper is now in front of Davidson in that center back pairing, but I still don't think that that's set yet. No, it's not. No, it's not set. I think, you know, this, this conversation is making me think of one that I had with Becky Sauerbrunn in September in training camp before qualifying and talking about sort of the the rotation. And this is obviously, you know, this is four years removed. I mean, Krieger back in camp, sure. Um, Ertz is on the field, but in a different, in a different role. I mean, four years removed from that sort of stellar 2015 world cup winning defense um, and, and Sauerbrunn, including goalkeeper even is, is the only one that remains um, from the starters. Um, but, but I was talking to her in that September window about um, just that rotation and, and if there is a an adjustment. I mean, these are players who play together a lot, right? I mean, Sauerbrunn and, and Dal Kemper have, have played together a good amount at this point. Um, even even the Sauerbrunn-Davidson uh, combo, at least in 2018, has, has reps behind them. Um, but, you know, the constant changeover that continues to happen and, and the... The in and out, I mean, that's sort of by force with O'Hara's injuries. Um, the the swapping of Davidson and Dahl Kemper, um, Dunn has sort of, you know, more or less solidified herself on the left over the last eight months. But um, that that has an effect on chemistry. And, and I would say the better word there is communication. And I think that there's just a, there's a knowing that comes with back lines that play together consistently and, and knowing exactly what, you're going to get out of the person to your right or the person to your left. And, you know, you look at that and Sauerbrunn being the constant, um, Dahl Kemper or Davidson, you know, that affects even potentially what side Sauerbrunn might be on. And then obviously who's who her fullback is. And you look at swapping Sonnet in for O'Hara and you're, you alluded to this, Claire. I mean, that that's, 
Uh, I mean, Sonnet is kind of the antithesis of, of O'Hara in terms of uh, certainly on the attacking side. So, which is um, amazing. She I, had two assists in this game, which is wild. I know. Yeah, she looked like she looked like a number yeah. nine in the in stoppage yep. time there. So, um, so that, that is. You know, maybe yeah, maybe we need to scale back our uh, our attacking criticism of, of Sonnet. But um, you know, it, it is. I mean, just from a, a feel standpoint, um, even with her getting forward, it is not the sort of bombing down the chalk sort of uh, presence that O'Hara has, and that has an effect on you know. I mean, if you're Dahlkember, just kind of knowing what she's going to do on your right and how that affects you, and and you know, maybe that you know, we can sort of tie that back into that first goal where, um, you know, Doc Kemper is holding off, holding off, and she's kind of delaying Caitlin Ford. And, and you can see Doc Kemper point um, to, to Sonnet and, and sort of a, an awareness of where Devanna is and, and Sonnet obviously thinking that she needed to be more covered, uh, more of the cover defender there uh, to tuck in. And, um, you know, obviously just, just left way too much space for Devanna. Yeah, I yeah, I think um I I agree. I think that a lot of it comes down to communication and I think the rotating cast of players especially when they're not necessarily in places where they feel naturally comfortable is uh is is proving to be an issue. Um okay, let's talk goalkeeping. There were eight, yeah, yeah, there say. were eight goals. There were well, eight goals in this game. Uh Lydia Williams had five scored on her. Uh Alyssa Nayer had three scored on her. Do we put this game on the keepers at all? No, well, I was going to say, I mean, I've seen some of this even in, in reply to some stuff that I, uh, that I had tweeted and, and, you know, I mean, you can't look at this game. I mean, sure. Uh, three goals. I mean, certainly on Lydia Williams side, five goals, but I mean, in all of these cases, uh, you know, the goalkeepers are not completely absolved, but they're also, um, you look at that first goal for the U S I mean, that is a series of breakdowns in front of a listener. Um, you look at Sam Kerr's header for, for Australia's third. Um, you know, you're talking about a, a header that Dahlkember, it's it's just a, it's a 50-50 jump ball, you know, from whatever that was. Maybe it was 12 yards out. Um, so, and then, you know, being shielded on that second goal that, that Ford scores. So, um, I, I'm not saying that, that, you know, Nair is innocent here, but the idea of, you know, three goals conceded, is not uh, proof of concept for someone who already feels that Nair is somehow not, you know, Hope Solo or whatever this this sort of outdated conversation is going to be. This is, it, it's proof of concept that what's going on in front of her is still a problem because I don't think that I'm looking at, I'm not looking at any, any of those three goals and saying, man, Alyssa Nair really screwed up there. Um, you know, that, that's a product of what's happening in front of her. And does she have some role in that communication? Sure. You know, I think that's an overlooked, an overlooked thing there, but, um, you know, I, I think it'd be very harsh to look at this and say, well, she gave up three goals again, and this is just sort of furthering any worry in the goalkeeper position. Right. I, I totally agree. I don't think you can look at a game like this one and, and put that put that individually on the goalkeepers at all obviously defending problems for both squads all right i have two more things uh one uh being at the end of this game we saw the u.s fall into a five back with ali long falling into defense um i mostly thought that was interesting just because i think we've seen a bit of that from the u.s before in preparations for big tournaments especially in 2016 
Um, did you think we were done seeing Ali Long as a defender? Did you think that experiment was over? Were you surprised? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think the, you know, the, I actually thought the the brief bit of time in the four one four one. I mean, things got pretty weird at the end there. Obviously, I mean, we had what was it about the 89th minute where you know Carly Lloyd is coming on for Abby Dahlkemper, and um, you know that that's where you're kind of <laughs> things were weird enough with eight goals, but you know the the amount of substitutions and rotation. Um, but you know, I mean the. I don't know that that 4-1-4-1 is even an answer when you, I mean, one of my big concerns is that there's such a, a flat sort of uh, nature to these, these lines for the U S. So um, I, I guess I'm talking around it a bit, I, I but you know, I, I think it was just some of these things we we've seen some sort of bizarre testing of um, you know, things that, that Ellis wanted to so, sort of see throughout these months, um, including, you know, even with a two-goal lead of, of I think it was still two goals at that point, of, of bringing on Carly Lloyd where, you know, you're trying to protect a game. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't read too much into these sort of late formation changes because Ellis has made a habit of making, you know, three or four of them in those final 20 minutes in, in each of these friendlies over the past few months. Sure. Um, and then I, I mean, let's, let's maybe close out talking positives, right? Um, Tobin Heath, Megan Rapino, and Alex Morgan all had great games. Um, it seems like their form has carried into this year with the, you know, against defenses that are maybe giving them some room. Um, Mallory Pugh had two goals in this game, which I have to think she's been a little bit embattled. I, I think, especially yeah. when she was in that central midfield, uh, has to be great for her confidence. And also it'll be really interesting, I think, to see what she does with the spirit um, kind of rolling into this World Cup. She's someone that if she can contribute, that will be great for the U.S. when I think maybe the assumption after the last couple of months is we're not sure exactly how much she can do that. Yeah, I, I'd have to defer to someone. Uh, I have not looked this up, but I'm, I'm curious if that's the fastest goal ever scored. Um from, from actually that record with that's the record from a couple years ago right when Kelia Ohai did it and then mm-hmm. I might be mixing the order and then and then Lynn Williams in the next friendly right. did it like two seconds earlier but I think even that was something like 40 seconds so um so this had to have been it because it felt like about three seconds I mean they weren't even done announcing Pew's name on the the over the loudspeaker at the stadium so um yeah I, I think you know particularly these past few months, I would say if you're looking for sort of a super sub jolt off the bench, it's, um, you know, Kristen Press has sort of really carved her name into that from the France and Spain games from She Believes. So, you know, I, I think that's a welcome uh, a welcome performance from Pew, even if, you know, this is also, uh, it's still one of those games where um, it was so ridiculous, um, even though it is, a microcosm of some bigger, these issues that we've talked about that um, it, it was just such a wacky game that, um, you know, sometimes you might be a little bit hesitant to, to draw too many sort of really wide conclusions, um, especially in that case where, you know, she's coming in in the 70th minute or I think right. it was 67th minute. So, you know, it, at that point it's already kind of off the rails. But, I wonder, I wonder, um, this is a total flyer that just popped into my head, but, um, the new substitution rules 
where subs go off at the nearest touchline as opposed to the mm-hmm. long walk to half. I wonder if maybe that caused a little bit of extra confusion as to who uh, Australia was marking in that moment. And I wonder if we might see something similar come official competition in the summer. That little change can throw people off. Little rule changes. They might be expecting a little bit more time to get set. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I didn't even think of that, honestly. And, and I'm not sure. Um, did you see where where the exit from the field. I didn't. Place. I'd have I to go see. back and rewatch, okay. but it isn't kind of an interesting little thing around substitutions that's going to be a little bit different, especially depending on where the, the point of entry for right. play is. Right. Yeah. And I think people are still getting used to the, the goal kicks as well, which are, are interesting, but maybe less. I, I don't know. I didn't think I looked at these rule changes, which they started and she believes. I think people missed some of that, but, but I was like, this is generally inconsequential, all this stuff. I mean, you know, you can give a yellow card to a coach now. Right. And, um, you know, I, I guess playing the ball in the box is great for any team that is really, you know, that uh, obsessed with playing out of the back or intent on playing out of the back. But, um, yeah, that could that could be something to watch. I mean, if you, if you want to draw a quick sub and maybe cause a bit of confusion. Yeah, I always think that's interesting because looking at NWSL play last year um, – I, 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 again, would have to go back and look at the numbers, but the North Carolina Courage scored a couple goals on fast re-entry, whether it's throw-ins or free kicks, and that is a little thing that if coaches are paying attention, they could get a little bit of an edge, so who knows. Right. Um, cool. So uh, any follow-up thoughts about, about the game as we kind of wrap up? I, I mean, I just think, you know, this is – I think there are, well, look, we've got, this is in the bag, and then you've got Sunday um, against Belgium, which I think is obviously a very different kind of game and, and different opponent. And then, you know, you've got essentially, I mean, I'm not saying it'll be Monday, although I, I don't know the exact plans, but we're at the point of naming the 23. Uh, um, so, you know, I, I think if you're Ellis, you know, this is only... <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe she'll she'll say that she did. I'm not sure if she got answers that she necessarily wanted um, from this game against Australia, but I think you certainly have to be a bit worried about um, you know what what you saw and and the questions that you have and the fact that they're you know they remain unanswered. I mean the 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 story with the true story with Ali Krieger coming back in is is. You know, I think people have pointed this out. Like, we're not in the middle of the NWSL season. This is not some sudden run of form. Um, this is, you know, O'Hara's hurt again. It's now April, April on the calendar, and I think there's a realization that there might be a real problem and a real need for some depth in that position, which everybody obviously has known for a long time, Jill Ellis included. But you know, now there is a certain amount of urgency to it with still no answer. So I think for me, just the idea that uh, we're still asking these same questions that we've been asking for a year or so in terms of defensive depth, really true answers at a fullback position. And um, the midfield three, I guess, is a question that's always going to be a question that even in the middle of a tournament, it's about whether you adjust or not, which we saw in 2015. So um, I guess that's not, I mean, it's a concern for sure. The idea that, you know, at least in the midfield, there are answers. I don't think there are answers really at fullback, uh, particularly if O'Hara's hurt. So 
Um, my very long answer here <laughs> to wrap this up is just that, you know, I, I think if you're the U.S., um, I, I don't know. I, I don't look at the U.S. right now and and say with full confidence that this is absolutely a, a World Cup winning team. Um, I think they obviously can and, and, you know, have been in a favor position for the better part of a year. But um, I think some of these these flaws are starting to show a bit and, and maybe as a product of them tinkering and also as a product of some injuries. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, on top of that, I guess my final thought is I think a lot of people were a little bit concerned about this game. They thought it was possible that Australia could really expose uh, the U.S. and arguably they did. But um, mm-hmm. Australia is probably one of the five teams that can take the U.S. down in this tournament and they looked pretty beatable today. Uh, so that has to be a positive, I think for the U S going in and for as uh, crazy as this game was a little bit of forward momentum after some panic earlier in the year. So, um, Mm. it was sloppy. (laughs) It's not probably how they want to play, but they won the game and they won it by two goals. Uh, so I guess if this scenario plays out at some point in the knockout rounds, uh, we'll all have heart attacks, but the U S I guess has been (laughs) here before. So. That's got to feel good for yeah, them. A few heart attacks already, yeah. I think, through the through the years. So. Well, great. Yeah, so this was our uh, little special episode for USA-Australia. Uh, we'll be back with our regular programming on Monday, looking at the NWSL season in, what was it, 64 days till the World Cup? It's yeah, happening. I guess uh, 63 now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff, and I'm Claire Watkins, and this has been a special edition of the Equalizer podcast. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.